You're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life, presented by Spartan Combat. To watch video clips of this interview, go to at Wrestling Changed My Life on Instagram. We post tons of highlight clips from each of these interviews. Instagram, at Wrestling Changed My Life. Now let's get to the show. Okay, minimum I had to run a 5K a day. So that's how you start your day. Then we would do a lift. And my lift, and this is thanks to Lance Palmer's dad, would be... This is just a warm-up to your lift. You had to do 20 sets, or no, 10 sets of 21 pull-ups, 15 pounds of ankle weight strapped to each leg, 100, 100 sit-ups between every set of pull-ups. Okay, that was just the warm-up to the lift. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy we're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is the great TJ Seabolt, an Iowa high school legend, four-time state champion, had just one loss, and was the first Iowa high school wrestler to win over 200 matches. Folks, this kid was feared coast-to-coast during his days. Now he's the owner and head coach of the Seabolt Wrestling Academy, one of the top clubs in the country. He's produced the likes of Drake Gaela, Nathan Jessaroga, just to name a few. I really enjoyed this conversation, and hearing about TJ's upbringing, which was always you know, rumored and speculated at from afar as to what he was doing behind the scenes, and he dives into it. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Fan of the Week goes to a recent... Apple Podcast Review. This one is from D. Shane D. Best Wrestling Podcast. Love the show. Great interviews with the best in the business. Keep it up, Ryan. Well, thank you so much for the review. Anyone who's listening, if you enjoy the show and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and review. It helps bubble up this show to wrestling fans just like you. As always, Wrestling Changed My Life is proudly presented by Spartan Combat. For your custom team apparel orders, please consider SpartanCombat.com. To order, go to SpartanCombat.com. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for TJ Seabolt. All right, TJ Seabolt, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir, man. It's really great to have you on here. I'm based in Chicago, and as an Illinois, and I got to start here, man. How did Pat McCaffrey come to live with you in high school? It was the strangest thing. I uh, obviously competed against Pat when we were in the youth scene. And I remember going to Fargo and my dad and McCaffrey's dad were over talking in the corner. And I know that the topic got brought up because they were looking to uh, find a place to train and compete at for high school. And it was seemed like for me anyways, it was kind of just left at that. And I was working construction for my dad on a, uh, August day, obviously after Fargo, and I came home from work and McCaffrey was in the driveway with a bunch of bags. <laughs> so it, it caught me off guard. Um, I don't know if I never really talked to my dad, asked if they had talked about it more, but they must have. And there he was. So it was kind of wild. What did he say? Who? Pat, like McCaffrey. when you got there. Yeah. Uh, he was just like, Hey, what's up, man? I, I think he was kind of used to that. That's kind of how his life was. Um, he hopped around quite a bit as a kid. Um, yeah. And then I think we started off kind of rough. I don't know. We weren't friends right away. 
Um, and he lived with you, up, right? Like in your yep, house? Yep. Yep. <laughs> we ended up getting really close though. Um, at the beginning, he was like stealing all my clothes and wearing them to school and things like that. Just silly stuff that we would, you know, kind of bicker about. But uh, at the end of the, at the end of the whole year, we were, we were real tight. So and were you guys about even skill-wise? I would say, like, when we wrestled, I mean, I was bigger than him. I got I got the better of him just from a strength advantage, I think. But he had he had some really slick te- technique. Um, he, was, he was good, no doubt about it. Dude, I'll never forget. I was a freshman, and he came in as a sophomore as a transfer for Montini, and it was like – he was just wrecking people, unbelievable wrecking people. And then that summer at Fargo, I mean, the kid was a, a maniac in the best way possible, but he was just so good. Wouldn't even warm up for his matches. And he, he would just mow through people. Yeah, he was, he was extremely skilled. Uh, he, had, he had some slick stuff out of an underhook. Um, he knew what he wanted to do on bottom. He'd get out every time. Uh, like he had that East Coast slick style and he came to Iowa and I was more of like a, you know, a physical hand fighter, things like that. So we were kind of, kind of opposites in that way, but he was a great workout partner, great drill partner, definitely made me better. And I think, you know, I made him better too, but yeah, he was fun to watch. I know he, he could only wrestle half the season and he just destroyed everyone. Really? Um, Not even a close match. He had one close match in his first duel. He wrestled a state champ, three, a state champ, but I was familiar wrestling Russell weekly. Yeah. Uh, from Fort Madison, and he almost got pinned. He got turned. He got bar-armed and almost got stuck. Oof. But he ended up getting off his back. He won the match, and then at, from then on, just smashed everyone. Smashed everyone. So did his dad move to Iowa, too? Nope. Nope. His dad stayed back. Uh, just Pat. So. Wow. Crazy, man. I mean, that's that story was just legendary in Illinois at the time. And I'm sure in Iowa, it probably raised even more eyebrows, but you know, that's uh, those are great memories to look back on. And if I look back on your career, you were 06, I was 07. One guy I heard who had a lot to do with your development was a coach Halpnick out of Centerville. Hello, Nick. Hello, Nick. Yeah. When I was first getting started wrestling, it was pretty rough uh, beginning. I think I got pinned. It's either 24 or 27. I can't remember the exact number in a row. (laughs) <laughs> so that was my beginning. Uh, I think my dad got pretty fed up with it real quick and he hired at the time Centerville state champ. He was still in high school, Jason Holupnik, who was the head coach's son. And I looked up to him a lot. Obviously it was like an idol at the time when I went and started rock, watching a little bit of high school wrestling and he did private lessons with me. And that really gave me a jump. Uh, I started understanding wrestling better. He was good at explaining the rules and, and where I wanted to be in matches and, showing me some techniques that I took to right away. So he was, he was huge for me in the beginning. And your dad built a wrestling room in your backyard, essentially, right? Yeah. It, that wasn't until like my eighth grade year that we, maybe even my freshman year when we actually had a standalone building uh, before that, it was just basement, basement wars, a lot of holes in the drywall. <laughs> Dude, and you were known to like train insanely hard as a youngster. What was your regiment in like eighth, ninth grade? Oh boy. You ready for this? I'm ready, dude. I want every detail of it. Okay. Minimum, I had to run a 5K a day. So that's how you start your day. Then we would do a lift. And my lift, and this is thanks to Lance Palmer's dad, would be this is just the warm up to your lift. You had to do 20 sets or no 10 sets of 21 pull-ups 15 pounds of ankle weight strapped to each leg 100 100 sit-ups between every set of pull-ups okay that was just the warm-up to the lift and then you would lift and there would be some mornings where we would have a morning drill too um just depends on how early we got up or what my dad wanted me to do that day sometimes the lift would have to get pushed back to the afternoon before you went to wrestling practice that night and then you would have wrestling practice at night. And if I did all right in the wrestling practice, maybe we'd come home and I'd go to bed. If not, I was back down on the Adam dummy doing drills. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was brutal. It was brutal. And you were homeschooled, right? Age. So you had like total reign of flexibility in terms of where you could drive to work out and you weren't kind of constrained by the classes. 
hundred percent. I was homeschooled from fifth grade on. So uh, that definitely freed up the schedule for me to drive to Iowa city. I think I was driving to Iowa city two or three times a week for, you know, five or six years. Uh, we would go to Oskaloosa, Iowa when I was a kid to, that's another hour away to, to, to get a, like a live workout in with Derek Moyer, Brady Graham, uh, back when Dominic Moyer was there and Brandon Graham and all those guys, it was a real good, good group there. Plus we would have small workouts at my house with Nick Pickroll and Tony Loveston and eventually Patrick McCaffrey and Justin Brown. So yeah, we were, we were training all the time. There was, it was two, two or three a day, every day. So looking back on it, was it too much you think, or. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think it probably was in a sense. Um, it could have been, could have been done better, but my dad didn't know any better at the time. He was just, he was just doing everything he could to have me be the best I could be, I guess, whether I want to do it or not. I never really said anything. I just went with the flow. Uh, it was, it was pretty brutal though. Was there a point where you loved it and then you stopped loving it? Um, there was, yeah, I would say. I never hated wrestling. I'll say that. I never hated wrestling. I I maybe hated him at a time. I hated training that much at a time. But as far as actually the sport of wrestling, I've never ever lost my love for that. So and that's clear because you're, you know, working with guys now and wrestling is your job and your life. And it looks like you've really found your calling just from all the interviews I've seen you do and how, how well your guys are doing. It's like, man, so that the love was still there. It's just like the, the approach while I had the best intentions, maybe wasn't, uh, wasn't the, wasn't the right approach for you every time or for any kid for that matter. I mean, that's an insane warm up just to lift. I'll say this from probably sixth grade, probably seventh grade on. I mean, my workout, it was like a, it was like a division one athlete on steroids every day. I mean, that takes a toll on you. And then you're extremely sheltered when you live that kind of lifestyle though. So the only people I knew how to talk to was the people I wrestled with. If I went out in the real world, I was, I was super awkward and I didn't know how to talk to girls or anything. It was, it was weird. And that also, I think kind of just took a little bit of the, the love for what I was doing out of it a little bit, just because you feel so just feel so different if that makes any sense like a lonely feeling like left out of the group sometimes yeah I remember like there was a time in my life where my dad didn't let us watch tv or get on the computer anything for years so when I would be talking with my wrestling buddies they'd all be talking about AOL instant messenger and all this I'm just, I have no idea what that even is mm-hmm. or whatever songs they're playing on the radio I had no clue tv shows they're talking about I didn't I didn't know any of it so all I knew was wrestling so it was, it was definitely different, but kind of finally got socialized a little bit. I'm a little better, not so socially awkward anymore. No, you're good, man. It's a, it's a learning process for everyone. And, you know, a lot of kids when they were, you know, in middle school and high school with you definitely envied you seeing you just roll through dudes, but you know, maybe if they realized what it took to get there, it's a whole different animal. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that until afterwards and you start to tell your story a little bit now. Right. hundred percent. And so when you were going through like the AAU ranks, who were some of the, the kids you battled with? Joey Slayton, me and him uh, seem like every, there for a while, every week we were wrestling each other. It was crazy. And nobody would ever win two matches in a row, but he always got me at the AAU state tournament, which was wild. Um, he just, I don't know what he did there. He just freaking dialed it in and he kicked my butt. He kicked my butt at the AAU state tournament two years in a row. Matt Ballweg, he was another good kid I used to wrestle all the time. I'm trying to remember everybody. Brett Rosedale, wrestled him a lot. I have to pull up the pictures, but there's a lot of good kids. Brady Graham, Brady Graham, he was an AAU phenom. I know that was my first, first big AAU win. Cause I had never placed there before. And all of a sudden I was in the semis against Brady Graham mm-hmm. and uh, he was beat me three zero. And I think I took him down and got two swipes in the third period <sighs> Nice to, to win, to win four, three, and then went to the finals and Joey kicked my butt like five zero. Um, but we we wrestled. I remember the first time I wrestled him was like at Columbus junk, Columbus junction gym tournament. 
<laughs> I had no idea who he was. And I remember looking at the bracket, Dan McClare, who I had wrestled before, was like, oh, you got Joey Slayton? And I was like, who's that? He's like, oh, he's good. Anyway, I ended up beating him that day, and I know everybody thought it was a big deal. I didn't think anything of it. And then we wrestled again like two weeks later, and he beat me. Then we wrestled again like two weeks later, and I beat him. Then we wrestled again at state, and he beat me. That's just how it always went. So, Did you ever train with him at a time? Yep, we ended up training a lot. In Iowa City, we would meet in Carver, and uh, we'd get either my dad or Pablo Yubasa would put us through workouts, or John Stripmatter at the time was in Iowa City. And he'd put us through workouts. Or Joey would come down in the summertime and stay in the house for like two weeks. And wow. we would just grind every day. So so you talk yeah. about guys staying at your house. I was looking at you just doing a deep dive on on the Seabolt entre- uh, enterprise you got out there. And I noticed your pops has like a hunting hunting business where he takes people out hunting. And is it true that like, you would have guys stay in that hunting lodge in the summers back in the day when they'd come down and trade with you? He didn't have a hunting lodge back then. Um, they would just stay in our house. We always had a spare bedroom or we eventually ended up having like an apartment above our garage, which is where he had a lot of those guys stay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. I know when we were doing some camps in the beginning of my club, we actually had campers stay in the hunting lodge when we'd run camp. But uh, yeah, he's got a, he's got a quite the place, quite the setup anymore. Dude, my brother and I talk about getting into hunting all the time, but we live in Chicago, like literally in the city. And there's just, well, how do you even start? You know? So I was looking at it. It looks like what you just, they take you out there hunting and show you how it's done. Uh, I don't know all the details of how the business side of things work. Uh, I know he's got an outfitter now uh, called Fat Racks Outfitters and him and a couple other guys went in on it. They lease a bunch of properties or own a, own some of the land. And, you know, set up all the trail cameras and they keep tabs on where the big deer are all year long and they go shed hunting and they do their research and then they sell hunts. I don't know how that part of it works. I know he's got a website. Yeah. I didn't really ask. I just know like right now he's got, he's got hunters flying in from States to hunt. They're staying there. He feeds them. He's put, takes them out, puts them in a tree stand or deer blind and picks them up at night and feeds them again. They sleep there and that's how it works. How he got into it, I don't know. That's just how my dad is. He He's not going to do anything unless he can start a business out of it. And he's not <laughs> going to do anything unless he can be the best there is at it. That's just how he is. He is obsessive, compulsive, like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he before before I started wrestling, he had like uh, coon dogs, like world champion coon dogs. Just crazy. Like he just grinds. And then the wrestling thing happened and obviously went full bore on that too. Um and now it's, now it's hunting. So, man, and he's like one of those guys that you said he owns a, uh, is it a concrete business as well? Yeah. He owns a construction company. He has rentals out the wazoo, rental <laughs> houses, apartment complex. He, he usually runs three or four biz- businesses at a time. I mean, Jesus dude. Like he's like a 4am guy, just nonstop. There's no, there's no play with him. It's just, it's just work. Everything he does, he looks to make money. And he's been ex- extremely successful, no doubt. But I think that's a little bit where I get the work, work ethic from. But So, like, growing up, though, in the summer, there was no, like, lazy days where you're allowed to just hang out. You're out there working when you're not training, right? Well, yeah. for, for free. But he would say that it's because all the tournaments he take me to. But, yeah, all for summer free. long, work construction. You'd wake up and you do your run, you do your, your lift, or you'd wake up, you do your run, you'd go to work all day long, you do your lift, and then you have practice, and you just beat. And it was like rough work. Like he'd be like, take that pile and move it over there, or you're going to build a retaining wall 10 foot high with retaining wall blocks. So it was, it was tough. Would mom ever step in, or was it, it was, it was effortless at that point? Mom didn't step in. She, she was pretty quiet back then we won't get into too much of that but yeah i hear she you man different. yeah so you look at your high school career four-time state champ i'm sure you hear it all the time you had the one loss it's to the the gentleman from missouri was that a legit loss or was it like an illegal slam type situation it was legit he here's what's crazy now i look at the way i coach and i understand wrestling and and like you know what the other kid has to bring to the table like ryan Moyer, who i got beat by had a left-handed single and it was a dynamite left-handed single, kind of like Drake Ayala, right? 
And I didn't, my coach didn't tell me anything about left-handed single or make an adjustment here. It was just wrestle hard. Right. <laughs> and I didn't know any better, but he took me right down with the left-handed single. I think I reversed him. I cut him. He took me down with the left-handed single. I reversed him. So I'm losing one by one point. I kept cutting him and he just kept taking me down with left-handed single, but there was a situation where you can make an argument. I maybe got hosed a little bit on the edge of the mat on a takedown, but you know, that is whatever. At the end of the day, he beat me on the scoreboard by two points and he was better on his feet, at least in that match. Um, I wasn't made, there was no in-match adjustments for me. He just kept burning me on a left-handed single. I go back and watch it now. And I'm like, man. You still got it on tape. Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched it in a long time, but if I were to, I know how the match went. I've seen it recently enough. I know how it went. Did you have any tight ones after that in like the state of Iowa, like two-way stuff? I had one tight one, uh, Patrick Makey, my junior year. He was a two-timer going for three. I don't think he had lost in like two years. Uh, he wasn't phenomenal by any means. I probably should have beat him a lot worse than I did. The match just went weird. Um, I'm trying to remember how it goes the first period. I think I took him down easy, cut him, and I was on my way to another takedown, goofed up somewhere in there. He ends up getting a takedown on me. Then – I get out. So it's like tied and he, I think he picks, maybe I pick neutral. Yeah. Something like that happens again. I got to, <laughs> I, I, I get in deep. It's like, I'm going to finish easy. Something goofy happens. He ends up on top of me. And I think I reversed him. I can't remember every detail. I know that I end up going into the third period with a one point lead and I wrote him out. The whole, the whole third period. Wow. So, because I just kept messing up on my feet. And it's like one of those matches where you probably should have took him down three or four times, but it was just a goofy match. Yeah. But that was that was a 6-5 match, and the crowd was going berserk the whole time. But, <laughs> yeah. Other than that, wasn't really any close ones. And when you won four, was this before after Borschel and all those guys won four? It would have been one year after. One year after. Okay. Yep. I, I trained with all those guys back in the day, Borschel, Anson, Slayton, Morningstar. I mean, we were all traveling together to regional tournaments in the summertime and, and we were on the same national dual teams all the time. And we went to Pablo Ybasa's club. I think we kind of started, I was at Pablo Ybasa's first practice ever. And it was me, Kyle Anson, Mo Malone and Jay Borschel. And that's what, <laughs> That's what got Pablo started. It was pretty, pretty good group of four to start with, no doubt. And was that when it was in Carver? Yep, yep. Every I never was at Ubasa's when it wasn't in Carver. He was there my whole, my whole time there. And who were some of the Hawkeyes back then, like the Schwabs of the world, or was it a little bit before that? Nope. Yep. It was uh, when I first started. Like Ironside was a senior, I think. Doug, because that's when I got into Hawkeye wrestling. I, I became obsessed. I was a huge Ironside fan, Schwab fan, then went to like Mike Zadick and so on. And we went to all the duels and stuff too. It was, it was pretty cool to be around. Were you there when Schwab lost in the finals? I was to Michael Leitner senior year. Yeah. From Oklahoma. Listen, man, I cried. I'm not even joking. You cried. I didn't cry, cry, but I was so obsessed and such a fan of Doug Schwab. When he got beat, I got my, like I had tears running down my face. I believe it. And especially when you're in that environment, you know, it was, it was at Carver, right. right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I remember uh, the Hawk fans chanting to Minnesota zero zero because they didn't get any guys in the finals. Right. And then they got, they got back at us by saying 10, 10, 10 when they got 10 all Americans. So yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool memory. That's a big year. Cause yeah, Jay had been so close to 99 to beating Iowa and then it didn't happen. And then in 2001, as you mentioned, Minnesota gets it done with 10 all Americans. Yep. So as you're coming through high school, you, I mean, just a phenom of phenoms, were you recruited by Iowa a lot or was Brands and Schwab at Virginia Tech then? I was recruited by both. Um, I almost went to Virginia Tech. It was, it was kind of a goofy deal, but Iowa was kind of declining a little bit at the time, if you remember. Yeah. For whatever reason that is, I think they got like sixth place, the big tens that year. So and I was, I was controlled by what my dad wanted quite a bit. Let's be real. Yeah. And so he wasn't so sure if he wanted me to go to Iowa. And 
they're the only school that didn't offer me a full. Them and Virginia Tech was kind of like never, never guaranteed full. But I remember West Hand leaving the house one day and he said, "If if we offer you a full ride, will you commit?" And I I wasn't the one talking. My dad was, and he never really said yes to that. So whether that was an offer or not, I'm going to take it as it was. But no, I was. I was that brand style, that Iowa style, big fan. Had he probably been at the University of Iowa, that's where I would have went. So what was it like when Kale came to living room then with your pops and him interacting? It was really quiet. Bobby Bobby Douglas did all the talking then. Really? Yeah, because I signed before all that stuff happened. As soon as I signed, like a week later, or not signed, but committed, or whatever you want to call it. I don't remember how the recruiting was back then. Um, it wasn't as far in advance as it is, is as it is now, where you can be a sophomore or junior and you're getting recruited. But after I committed to Iowa State, Bobby Douglas gets fired. Or no, Jimmy got fired first. And then Iowa State immediately hires Kel, and Tom comes back to Iowa. So it was just like, wham. Wow. Yep. Right after my recruiting process. So, and all your buds are out in Virginia transferring back. Yeah, but they got stuck out there. True. They got stuck out there. And I don't know. It was pretty wild. Who knows what would have happened too? Because if I would have went to Virginia Tech, maybe I would have been in the middle of that whole Virginia Tech massacre that happened too, because that's kind of weird, right? Yeah. Because I remember sitting in my dorm in Iowa State being like, man, I was almost going to be there. So you just never know. Pretty wild. So when the recruiting trip with Bobby Douglas, Bobby was doing most of the talking. Was Kale even there? I did. I was with Kale. I don't know if that was when we went to Ames or if he, did he come to my house. Bobby actually came to the high school. and We met at the high school and talked there. And at that time, I didn't really have a ton of interest in Iowa State. Uh, it was when Kale started texting me all the time. He's a pretty good recruiter. And then we went to Iowa State and we met with them. And I don't remember exactly what made me like. I know the visit. The visit, I think, is the thing that made me like it the most. And that was just because, you know, it was it was fun. I felt like I fit in at the time. I was good buddies with John Reeder already. So it was just that's probably what made me make that decision, which is silly looking back on it in my mind, because you shouldn't. I tell my kids this all the time you got to have a good idea of what the program's about, uh, the coaches are about, and things like that before you go on a visit. Because a visit is kind of just fake in a way. That yeah. makes sense. They're there to show you a good time and sell their program. And when, when things get real, it's not a whole lot like the visit was, right? <laughs> For sure, man. Before you even got to Ames, though, you had the fourth title, as we mentioned. Was it relief or excitement when you got that fourth one done? Because that had to be building for years for you. It was relief. It was relief because that's what I was expected to do. And, you know, at first, when you're a kid growing up and maybe that's your expectation, you you look at it as a bigger deal than maybe it is, right? But there was there was a pretty good amount of pressure on me by the end. And once it was finally over, I was just like, thank God that's over. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I did it. Thank God it's over. Now let's, let's real, re- let's relax a little bit. But um, then you're expected to go do something at college, right? Seriously. Day one and aims for you after being homeschooled your life. What was it like going to a D one power five conference school? Like day one. Crazy. I never went on a campus campus tour or anything like that. So I didn't know what college was, was really like. And I remember trying to find my first class, first day of school. I got, I could not find it. I could not find this building. And I ended up showing up like 30 minutes late to my first class. So it was right, right away. I was like, I got to figure this out. <laughs> I'm lost, <laughs> right? And then we sat down in this class with a ton of people. And this guy's talking about a blue book test that we have to take. And I have no idea what the heck that is. And, I just, it was just different. I was out of my element for sure. Kind of a little bit of a panic, if that makes sense. How'd you, how'd you move forward next? Like, what'd you do next? Well, I ended up feeling uncomfortable and I ended up skipping a lot of class just because I was uncomfortable. And 
I was still training and, and whatnot, still wrestling, but I got behind. I got behind, and I remember after first semester, Kel told me, this is your GPA, and this ain't going to cut it, so you're going to get on tutors and everything else. And that second semester, I definitely picked it up. I got my grades back up somewhat decent and went home for the summer and decided I wasn't going to go back. What did the old man say when you told him? He's mad. I was working for him, again, construction at the time. Yeah. Um, but again, it was, I've said this before in all these interviews, bigger, more, more than anything, it was, it was so much, I would say pressure, but you know what, you got to learn how to handle pressure, but just fear of fear of failing and what are people going to think about me that held me back the most. And I let that destroy me and I let it basically still my wrestling career, um, once you get older and you mature and your mindset changes, you look back and you, how you would have done a lot of things different, but it is what it is at this point. Um, we are where we are. And I think we're doing, we're doing all right though. Yeah. You guys are doing great, man. A lot of people say the top club in the country and, and that's not a, that's not an easy thing to throw around with the Academy scene out there right now. It's, it's ruthlessly competitive. Um, but you, you, you mentioned that you were in your head about what people thought about you. That plagues a lot of people to this day, including myself, and now, you know, we're, we're the same age. Looking back, you're like, God, who gives a crap what people think? So, like, how are you using that to help some of your guys now or even yourself, like, in your day-to-day? Uh, I mean, no matter what, there's always going to be people that talk about you. People want to see you fail. And you just got to keep doing what you think is best for you. You're never going to make everyone happy. Who cares what other people think? You just got to keep, you know, re- reiterating that to your athletes and yourself. That's something I had to overcome for, I mean, I still worry too much about what people think sometimes. Am I way better than I was? Yes. But whatever, there's, there's a part of me that doesn't understand why this person, you know, wants to talk crap about you or mm-hmm. wants to see you fail. And it's like, what, what do I do to that guy type of thing? Right. And then you just gotta be like, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just how people are. You keep doing what you think is right. What you think is, is, is the right thing. And, keep moving forward just can't worry about what people think it's all there is to it it's all you got to tell them and you just keep reminding them and that's something i maybe wish i had in my head a little bit i know even my dad though he i think he worried about what people said about us all the time and he was always maybe talking about it and reading the message boards and uh, definitely a heavy message board name bro you might be the most famous message board name of all time during that era like that no, was mere metcalf for sure you i mean but and the, on the predicament board, definitely Iowa, like Iowa high school, man, I, I can't remember, you know, and there was a lot, Illinois had the same thing. Illinois Matman forums were toxic. And uh, I mean, as a young kid, like that had to be, honestly, it's really hurtful. A lot of things, but it's just also like total bullshit by people who don't even know you. A hundred percent. And I took all of it at just how I was at the time. I don't know if I had a big heart or what, but I just took all of it to heart. You know, everybody, Everybody thought I was 20 years old and um, cheating and I don't, I didn't go to school. All I did was train, 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 train. And I don't know why it just, it bothered you. And if you have a match that was closer than it was supposed to be, see, he's not very good type of stuff. Right. It was just for whatever reason, it, it got to me back then. I don't know why I was that way. Yeah. A lot better now, but. I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't it bother though? Like anyone who see, first of all, no one's good enough to have adults writing about them unless they're elite. So when adults start writing about kids, someone's going to say something shitty and like, it would bother any kid. I mean, but yours was like amplified. Your hype was so big that it was just amplified to like 10 X for everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't help that my dad just got caught up into reading that and he'd tell me all about it all the time or have <laughs> me read it. God, so That shouldn't have been how we did things. You should have stayed off that crap and never even let me know it was existing. Right. Right. I don't know. You live and you learn. And man, you are just, I just can't get over how studly your group of guys is and knowing where you're at in Iowa, you're not really what I would, you're in like Western Iowa. Now you're out in a, is it Hampton or Ham? Hamilton? I'm in Jefferson. Jefferson. Iowa now. Jefferson. Wrong we, president. We've kind of been to three different locations recently, sort of started in Mason city. Then I ended up having a location in Ames and Mason City. Then COVID happened and I had yep. nothing. So then I bought my own place. 
And I wanted somewhere close enough to Des Moines, but Des Moines, I mean, so expensive to get anything up and running there, right? Mm-hmm. And I was already named. So I ended up finding a place because I had some club members in, in this town, Jefferson, that knew a building for sale that had mats already in it. It obviously needed some work, but I was finally like, you know what? We got to find a place. It's not that far where we were already training, 35 minutes west of west of Ames. Uh, my biggest group of kids is Des Moines and Fort Dodge. I'm right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're 55 minutes from Des Moines. You're an hour and five minutes from Southeast Polk. You're 35 minutes from Dodge. You're 35 minutes west of Ames. It's a decent location in my mind anyway. Yeah. And it was worth the money. And I was basically backed into a corner anyway where, hey, we if we want to be able to keep this thing rolling, we got to get a room. So we just did it. We purchased it. And that's where we're at now. And it's been going pretty good. Dude, I read all about the uh, just the economic uh, development opportunity that they welcomed you in with open arms, and you really seem like you're just a staple of the community now. And I, I read how you want like you move the whole family there, right? You're not just there for business. You're like a you're in the thick of it now in this community. How's it been so far? It's been good, and I I mean yeah, of course I moved because it was like two out two hours fifteen minutes from my old house, and I was making that drive for like five months, maybe oh. not five months, a couple months four months at least three or four times a week is pretty brutal, but the community has been great. My dad helped me uh, get like a 10 year forgivable loan for updates to the building and things like that. And yeah, the, uh, I think the, the town sees all these customers and people coming in and helping their businesses and they they really support that. So they've been great. It's been, it's been pretty cool. It's a small town that probably hasn't seen anything like this all of a sudden there's license plates from everywhere <laughs> out of state, Iowa city area, Des Moines, Southern Iowa, Mason city area, all of a sudden showing up at this building and going to all these gas stations and subways and things like that. So it's awesome. It's been pretty cool. Especially because you, you're a, you know, your appeal is that you have a lot of kids traveling probably for that Sunday workout, you know, I've heard even some folks from my my uh, old neck of the woods, Quad Cities, and the Great Day and Night, they're coming out there. And so, yeah. like, you, to your point, these parents got to do something during the workout. So all the restaurants are going to get a little jolt from it. So it's pretty sweet, yeah. man. Yep. And the video that Flo just did, Kyle, Kyle Kleeman did a fantastic job with the tour. That sauna is a thing of beauty, man. That is amazing. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I I know I know my uh, brother-in-law had a, had a sauna. I kind of asked him how big his was and kind of got the idea from there and i had a guy that in our club that does woodworks trevor cross and he ended up building it and it's it's pretty awesome we're in there almost every practice so god dude you don't even think that's like when you watch the tour the wrestling room looks huge but then to the right you open this door and it's like this industrial warehouse with a ramp and then you got this sauna and then all these are the are the bunks done yet we have the bunk house. I am still either going to build the bunks or look for a good deal on a whole bunch of bunks and mattresses, but um, that's definitely got to be done before next summer at some point. But as far as it's got a TV in there, kitchen, um, all the flooring's done, all the paint's done, all that's done. We just got to get beds. Nice. Yeah. The ramp, the ramp, I didn't know what else to do with. I'm like, I think we'll just throw a sauna at the top of that. You're going to do that space, right? It's sweet, man. Then there's the air dines lining it. It's like, who would even think that room's part of that building? Like when you're watching it at the, at the onset, you know? Right. Right. A lot of people told me that I should move the wrestling room in there because they think it's bigger. It's not, it's got a taller ceiling, but it's, it, it's not as big. There's not as much square footage in that building as there is the wrestling area, but uh, it can be deceiving to the eye, no doubt. But I think what we did with the bunkhouse and we want to move all that weight equipment into where the airdynes are that you've seen. And we want to kind of turn that little weight room we have into like a parent's parents, TV lounge, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually just got to get to it. One thing I was a little surprised to learn. I am actually shocked to learn this, that you allow parents in the room sometimes. Yeah, I do. That can be a pro and a con. If a parent can do it right. And I even had this, I, I sent this out in a, you know, email or whatever. 
what I would like them to do is come in and watch technique, watch drilling, check your kid's effort, whether they're paying attention and attitude and hold them accountable to those things. Don't just wait till live wrestling starts and base practices on, hey, did my kid win in the wrestling practice? That's the wrong way to do it. Um, and I try to stress that issue. Uh, so still, you still have the parents that will just sit out in the lobby. And then as soon as live comes in, they want to come in and watch. And that it drives me nuts. You need to be, it should be the other way around. You should be, hey, is my kid trying to learn? Is he pouring his effort into this? Is he paying attention? Does he have a good attitude? Is he working hard? And then when live starts, then, okay, then go, then go do something. That's how I'd rather it be. Um, and the only thing you should ever kind of hold your kid accountable to is, you know, his effort and his fight should never be whether he's winning or losing the practice. Because some of these younger kids, man, not every kid is unique in a way where he's just motivated. And, and it's, it's no different in schoolwork is kind of what I tell them. If your kid's slipping a little bit in the classroom, you're going to be on their rear end about it. And I think the same should be if you're watching your kid be, be, you know, lazy and pitiful, you should, you know, what your effort's terrible. You need to pick up your effort or, you know, maybe we're not going to do this. That's why I let parents come and watch. It's not, it's not, you know, sit, sit over there and coach them while they're wrestling live. I don't allow that either. Um, for the most part, sometimes, sometimes people like to step over the line a little bit. You got to say, Hey, you know, shut your mouth, sit on the wall. Or if you really step over the line, you're not going to be allowed in practice room. And I've done that before too. Well, it's just mainly for the kids because, you know, you're, everyone says practice, you know, try new stuff. You know, if you get taken out, all good, keep going. But, you know, we've all seen those kids where they're literally terrified to get taken out at practice. Cause that means a lashing in the vein on the way home. They don't try anything new. An old man's sitting back there chirping at him and the kids looking the whole time. It's like, it's actually pretty pathetic, but it happens all the time. Yeah, I grew up that way. So I know all about the long rides home. Trust me. <laughs> um, that's exactly why I say I'd rather not be in there for life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Come in. I mean, we drill, we drill more than anybody in the country. Everybody thinks we just go in and condition and, and live wrestle and beat the tar out of each other. That's the, the what stereotype, whatever you want to call it, of the club. But in reality, we drill probably two hours to an hour and a half. I mean, we drill, 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 drill. And that's, that's what I wish they would understand. Just, hey, go in and watch that part. Pay attention to things we're showing. We want to go home and we want to work on something that TJ's showing. Great. That's why I like the, that part. It makes it good for parents to be in the room. Mm-hmm. But there is definitely the, the, the downside. And that's what you got to try to. I don't know. There's there's a good and a bad to both. And I've just chose to. I still like the parents to see what we're doing in the room. Yeah. Instead, instead of not have a clue what's going on in there. And then they're like, oh, my kid's not getting better. What's going on in there? And all that, ch- that chirping and talking starts happening. Right. Right. So it's, it's tough. I don't know. I've went back and forth. There'll be weeks where I go, Hey, no parents in the room. And then I'll be like, all right, you can come back in and watch. I've played with it. I think there is no perfect answer for that. Yeah. It's interesting. This, the part about, um, the parents watching a little technique and then helping later. Cause that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, especially when these younger kids, I mean, that's, yeah, that's key. You, you ask any, any well, 90% of anyone who's been great in the sport and they had, a, you know, they had a, a parent that really cared and they helped them along the way. Mm-hmm. Some of them probably had a bad experience and some had good experiences. It just, you got to try to coach up the parents to do it right too. Right. And there's going to be an idiot in there. That's just how it always is but you do the best you can to tell them the right way to do it. It really is. So the success of a team or a club, a lot of times is critically dependent on the parents as a key factor. And, and that's something you've mentioned uh, now and in the past. And for folks who don't, you know, maybe aren't in the wrestling world and know the SWA logo and Seabolt wrestling Academy. So you, um, after Iowa state went to NIAC and coach at the junior college level, and then you started this club and now um, is it your full-time job? It is. That's what I thought. Oh, I do really. When did you make the uh, crossing the Rubicon, so to speak, in terms of not having any other sources of income? When I first started, I was actually working. I was going I was going to school still for HVAC and I was running club. And then I didn't really have much passion for the whole HVAC thing. So (laughs) I played with that a little bit one summer. I didn't love it. 
then temporarily got a job at a Linex dealer spraying Linex bedliners. And I'm joking. <laughs> um, it's because I don't know. I've always liked, I, I'm from Centerville. So call me redneck if you want, but I've always liked trucks and doing stuff to trucks and putting lift kits on them and tires and whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was doing. Not just spraying, spraying bedliners, but, um, and then I was, I started the club and, I was only going to the state tournament at the time. That was the only tournament I was going to coach. And I remember Colin Shriver being like, this is what kind of motivated me to, I got to do more. He's like, is, is the only tournament TJ's going to go coaches at is a state tournament. And I was just like, man, if I'm going to go to all these tournaments. There's no way I'm going to be able to keep a job like this. I mean, I can't just keep asking, Hey, can I leave on a Thursday? Can I leave on a Thursday? I'm going to be gone all the way until, you know, whatever, because you travel all over the country. Mm -hmm. And that's where I kind of was just like, you know what, I'm just going to go all in on this thing and scraped by for a long time. I mean, scraped by on hardly any income. I lived in a hole in the wall and just kept grinding until things started going a little bit better. I, I just committed to it. I committed to being all in. And I really think if you're going to be, top of the food chain in this thing now it everyone's doing that everyone uh, i know there was only a few when i started doing that and now everyone all these major clubs it's all they do mm-hmm. right were there any clubs that you looked to at the beginning that you thought were doing it really well that gave you some inspiration or did you kind of know all along you wanted to do it i knew all along i wanted to do it i was familiar with it because my dad ran a really successful club um not I mean, back then it was different though. You didn't travel the way you travel now just to coach one athlete at who's number one or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But he had just hammers in there and he would go coach Tulsa, AAU state. And that's pretty much it. So I kind of just used that model and I thought that's what I would continue to do, but things evolve, things change and you gotta be, you gotta be ready to do it too. And then I after mean- you're on the scene for a while, you realize, Hey, there's, some other people out there that know what they're doing. You better be open-minded. You better steal a little bit from everyone. And that's kind of what you do. You don't think you have it all figured out. When I first started, I thought I had it all figured out. I was <laughs> So like 2014 coach TJ more hard ass than now or about the same. You think oh, I was definitely more hard. ass. I'm still hard ass. Don't get me wrong. I think you just get smarter, you know, the right time to be tough on someone. You feel the energy in the room. Um, you know what kind of athlete you're dealing with. It's you, you're just a smarter coach. You, you just get smarter. You you learn. You gain wisdom, and I think that's something I've definitely done. Uh, I'm still I'm still not a soft coach by any means. Some people tell me, "Oh, you've gotten softer than you used to be." Well, I don't agree with that. I've just gotten smarter than I used to be. Yeah, you know, it's not all about just running someone in the ground. Um, that's kind of how I had to do things when I was a kid, and you got to be smarter than that. You gotta, you gotta evolve. Just like I said before. Right. Well, and plus, you know, with your, with your pops, it was just you and with higher power wrestling club, probably kids who are more like kind of handpicked and were part of that. But now you got so many kids, there's a lot of different personalities that you're probably, probably seeing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. That's a challenge. It's one of the bigger challenges is trying to understand everyone. Know what, know what makes this kid tick. At the same time, you still got to hold them accountable. You still got to hold them to a high standard. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat of a balance you got to be willing to do. You can be tougher on this kid than that kid. Everyone always says it, but um, I want to make sure that, hey, I'm still going to coach this kid tough, even though maybe I can't coach him quite as tough as I can this kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that that you have to figure out. That's definitely one of the challenges of, of coaching. Uh, know the kind of kid you're dealing with. And there's a lot of kids that you got to, you got to learn about and build relationships with and gain that trust and make them understand that, Hey, coaching is coaching. And you can't take, you can't take something. I said that maybe it was a little bit negative personal. And, and at the same time, you got to know when you got to gas a kid up and be like, Hey, listen, that was a dynamite single leg. You're the, you're the effing man. I'll do that too. Right. Yeah. Um, one thing about me though, is I'm not going to BS you. I never BS anyone. If I think something sucks, I'm not going to tell you it was great. That's just kind of how I am where maybe not everybody's that way. They know that if they want, if they want me to tell them good job, they got to earn it the right way. So, but you're not above saying good job to someone either. That's what I love. 
absolutely. I'll, if I think that was freaking awesome, you're going to hear it. And I'm going to let everyone in the room know that you just freaking did something dynamite. Right. And I think that makes kids feel good too. Absolutely, man. You talk about dynamite kids, a couple come to mind for me. And I, I've just started to pick up on this Seabolt uh, Wrestling Academy momentum over the past two years. But Drake Ayala, is that how you pronounce it? Ayala, yeah. Ayala, three-time Fargo champ. That hasn't been done many times in any state. I don't know if it's been done in Iowa before, but tell me a little bit about that kid. He's special. Um, they don't make very many Drake Ayalas in the world. That's what I've had. I've had to learn. I've, obviously, I've learned. I figured out uh, just his whole journey the whole time. I mean, he wasn't really good. He wasn't that good when he got there. Everybody thinks that, oh, I'm just lucky because Drake Ayala. No, we're both we're both lucky. I think we we helped each other. He helped this club. Uh, I mean, obviously, the club helped him. But one thing I always tell him is, you know, you just took advantage of the opportunities. It's not because he always be like, this is all you. And I, I always tell him, I go, no, it's not me. It's you. All I did was provide the opportunities. You took them, mm-hmm. right? He's just extremely coachable. He's an extremely good kid. He's he's selfless. He's he's just special. And as far as what he's done, in my opinion, people can say whatever. Drake Iel is the best high school wrestler to ever come out of Iowa. I'm gonna tell you that right now. Wow. That's what I. That's what I think. He's he's phenomenal. even Corey Clark. Yeah, I know you're close with Corey Clark. Corey Clark is the grittiest person in the world. Don't get me wrong. He's just tough. That'd be, that would be my other one. That's my argument. Okay. That's my argument. Now, obviously I was involved in both of those kids' lives. So you can say I'm biased. Corey Clark won Fargo one time. Won Fargo one time. I know, man. So is Ayla like a, and I, I know I'm the worst at name pronunciation. Is he more of a, like a grinder, like, like the Corey Clarks or is he a little bit, a little bit Yanni, a little bit technique. Like, what, how do you describe his style? He's both. He's got a motor. Um, he can hand fight. He's got the best left-handed single on planet Earth. And he knows where he's good, and he wrestles where he's good. And he's got the heart of a lion. I mean, he's not going to he's not gonna stop. He could be down six points, and it don't matter. He's still going to believe he can win the whole time. Mm-hmm. And one thing about Drake is he is like a, he's like a machine downloading information all the time. If he gets his hands on you once, he he gains so much information. Next time he there's a strong chance he's gonna he's gonna pick you apart. Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen that a lot of times in matches where he would struggle the first period and by late second period he's got you figured out. Now he's just scorching you. And that's where he's special. Um as well as he really bought into everything we're about, anything we're showing, just that this that trust, that belief that hey this is where my coaches are telling me to wrestle. And there was never a doubt in his mind that this isn't going to work. It's just where he wrestled. And that's hard to find. Mm -hmm. Um, You can show him something one day and he's using it 10 minutes later. It's that's kind of how he is. So his wrestling IQ just off the charts. It sounds like it is. And he's not gonna, he's not about a whole bunch of moves, right? That's where a lot of people get confused on that. He knows where he's good. We kind of built on that. Like, okay, he's got, a left great left-handed shots obviously we got to learn how to attack the other side of the body you got to develop a, a a high crotch or something on that other side and he did that and then everything else just fed off of where he was already good got to get our legs back better we got to learn how to run down legs off counter offense we're struggling to get our hands inside so we can get to our shot so let's work on that and i mean he was just about it and about it just making him a better him every day mm-hmm. instead of you got to completely tear down the barn and rebuild type of deal. Right. So focusing in on what you're real good at and just doubling down there in some sense, in some sense. Yep. And obviously there's some things, Hey, you got to be fundamentally better right here and, and whatnot, which he understood. And especially as he got older and more mature and really started understanding wrestling. And the biggest thing with him though, is he came, he became about, I remember him saying this, when he started getting really good, he became about the process. And I know that's a cliche or whatever, but it's so huge. Mm-hmm. You, you start enjoying the process of getting better, of wanting to get better, doing the things it takes to get better, and then seeing yourself get better, feeling yourself get better. That's when wrestling becomes fun, not just, oh, hey, drag my feet, dread the workout, and then hopefully I get results at the tournament, right? Mm-hmm. 
he became about loving the process. And that's where he just took off like a rocket from eighth grade on. And doing this, the future's bright. He's at Iowa City right now, along with another guy you've coached, uh, Colin Shriver, right? Yep. Yep. And then the the hot name in the country right now, he just took out my man from uh, Ben DeVino from Illinois, but Nathan Jessaroga, you know, he really had a breakout summer and just won Super 32 for you guys. Same question. You know, tell us a little bit about this cat who's coming up. There's a lot of similarities there with everything I just said about loving the process and being extremely coachable. And I know Thomas said this about Drake. Nate loves the mat. He loves wrestling. He is obsessed. <laughs> that's what he thinks eats sleeps and breathes if you get on his opponent right now and you go to instagram there is nothing but wrestling videos on his feed <laughs> it blows my mind i'll get on instagram and i'll start looking at wrestling stuff and every video i pull up liked by nathaniel jessaroga <laughs> so you just know man, he's just all in he is he is obsessed and i remember the first time i laid eyes on that kid i knew he's gonna be special he actually came to my five-day camp as a sixth grader i think and I remember, I remember talking to my assistant at the time. I go, I want that kid. I want that kid. Look at that. He's just an animal. Tough. He looks like it. Yeah, tough. Works his tail off. Um, some things don't come to him easy, though. He is not super athletic ability type of kid, right? He's just solid. He wrestles where he's good. He's strong. He's tough. He's relentless. He's, he's, he's different than Drake, but at the same time, there's a lot of similarities. Right. And again, we know where he's good and we wrestle him where he's good. And we try to build on that. You don't really try to, Hey, you need to, you need to start wrestling upper body here and learning how to do this, that instead, Hey, no, you need to learn how to clear that position, get where you're good again. And that's, that's what he does. And is he a sophomore or a junior? He's a junior junior. He's, man. he's young though. He should be a sophomore. He's, he's, he's young. He's got a lot ahead of him, man. So much ahead of him to win super 32 as a junior, a young junior, pretty amazing. And, you know, world medalist. I mean, unbelievable. It's just crazy how good these kids are now. And like you said, the, the national scene that they're traveling on is, is unbelievable. The last thing I wanted to ask you, and this is just out of personal interest, how has Dan Knight started working within your, cause he, your camp? Cause he lives so far away. Uh, Back when Colin Schriever was on the scene with us, I'd always catch Dan, like, getting film on him, right? And then showing Jake, and then that's kind of how we built a relationship. Um, we'd always talk about Colin and things he does well, and and he wanted Jake to do a lot of stuff he was doing. And I remember I had a three-day camp one year that he caught wind of, and it was only for my club wrestlers. And he goes, well, how are we going uh, to make Jake a club wrestler so he can come to that camp? <laughs> and that's how he started helping i was like all right well i took it as an opportunity you bring jake you help us and we got a deal right so that was four years ago or some three four years ago at this point can't really remember but yeah that's how he came about and dan knight was another person <clears throat> that maybe is misunderstood or something because all i heard Back in the day when I was first starting club or when I was first coaching, was, oh, Dan Light, Dan Knight, negative this, that, call him this name, whatever, cheating, blah, blah, blah. And when I finally got to know him, I'm like, dude, Dan is the man. I love Dan Knight. Nicest guy ever. You talk about someone with crazy wrestling wisdom. I mean, he's got, he's got something for everything, right? Um, so I've been able to learn a lot from him too. He's been able to take away, you know, obviously some from us and we're just – just helping each other get better at wrestling and get better at coaching. So it's great. That's another name where at some point in my life, I'd love to do a documentary on Dan Knight and for the non Midwesterners four time undefeated state champ, I believe. And uh, went to Iowa, then went to Iowa state multiple time, all American before having a career ending neck injury. So he was cut short, but man, you talk about a phenom of phenoms back then even. And he used to, we used to go to night wrestling Academy when it was in Clinton, Iowa. And he would show technique with his eyes closed. Like he just knows so much technique. It is ludicrous. Yeah, you're right. You're not wrong there. Like I said, he's got something for everything. It's, it's like he never forgets any of it. No. It's just all there locked in that big old bald head of his, I guess. <laughs> but uh, he's, he's special. He's special.
No yeah, doubt he, about it. He's awesome. And you know, shout out to to Bettendorf. You know, I, I'm from that area and I a lot of guys from the those old Bettendorf teams were awesome. Tyler Clark, uh, the Ryan family come to mind. So all good yep. memories, man. And and TJ, I just want to thank you for coming on the show, man. It's been an absolute honor. And uh, if we ever cross paths, I'd love to meet in person and check out the facility, my man. Yeah, you're definitely welcome anytime. Hopefully we get some beds in there. If you want, you can just crash there too. Dude, I'd love to come out. I want the whole Iowa experience. I want to go, uh, go hunting with your pops. Check out the, uh, check out the sauna. I mean, the whole experience, man. It'd be awesome. Come on up, man. You just tell me when it works. Beautiful. We'll make it happen. Cool. Well, thanks for having me too. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of wrestling changed my life to see video clips from this interview please go to Instagram at Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was proudly presented by Spartan Combat. The Spartan Combat Nationals are returning to Jacksonville, Florida, April 8th through the 10th, 2022. Register now at SpartanCombat.com.